Join me in reading Revelation chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave Him to show to His servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending His angel to His servant John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even all that He saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from Him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits which are before His throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood and has made us a kingdom of priests to His God and Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him. Even those who have pierced Him and all the tribes on earth will wail on account of Him. Even so, Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, said the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. In our text this morning, I, John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. On account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches in Ephesus, to Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and to Sardis and Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not I'm the first and the last and the living one I died and behold I am alive forevermore And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. For the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This is the word of God. 
All right. Confession. I grew up in the church culture. I grew up going to church uh, twice on Sunday, going to church on Wednesdays, because that's what we do. Every Sunday morning, whether you liked it or not, we all went to Sunday school. And I remember Mrs. Gabriel's. She was this uh, wonderful, plump little lady. And she smelt of, I think, formaldehyde. <laughs> she was that old, but she was so dear. She knew us all by names. And I remember, and some of you will remember these, these things too, she had her own special chair where only adults were allowed to sit. Everybody else had these, these uh, they were the wooden chairs. They didn't even have the nice plastic chairs that kind of had the bendy. They were the wooden chairs for little kids, and we all had to sit. The older kids got to sit in the chairs. The little kids had to sit on the floor. And Mrs. Gabriels, she told the best stories in the world. How did she do it? Flannel graphs. Those of you who weren't raised in the church culture, let me tell you what a flannel graph is. A flannel graph is this board about yay big by about this, this tall, covered in felt. And as the, the person would be telling the story, they would take other felt things and put them onto the flannel graph and tell these stories. And I just remember, I was just fixated, like a, my, my son with we now. I was just fixated on these flannel graphs and how they just came to life. I know, felt, and how they came to life. She told the best stories, and I could just, I, I, was, I was transfixed on it, and I was transported to the place where she told the story. I remember seeing these pictures of Jesus, always dressed in the color white. What, what color was his sash? Oh, no, it was blue. I don't know what church you went to. Mine was blue. And Jesus always had this long kind of flowing hair, and he was kind of ethereal, and he just kind of floated about. Well, that was the story time that with Mrs. Gabriel. This morning, John is telling us what he saw when he was transfixed on the Lord's Day and transported before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It was an experience that, that it was otherworldly. And for us to even begin to understand what John experienced is nearly impossible. Even John himself had to give us pictures representations to the best that he could to show us just a glimpse of what he experienced. Last week, we talked about how this first section, even the book of Revelation itself, some people get so caught up in the book of Revelation and they're scared to death of it because they don't feel they have the tools to decipher what does all these pictures mean. They take a hands-off approach going, man, I don't know how to handle this, so I am not going to even use it in my devotional life. I'm, not gonna, I'm pretty sure it's more of a, is Jesus coming, as opposed to 
how is this going to encourage me? Last week, we talked about how the church, when they heard this revelation, this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus revealing himself to a church that was persecuted, under tribulation. The Roman government was at them all the time, and they were discouraged. Their brothers and sisters in Christ were losing their lives because of the gospel. Because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. They were losing their lives. Their jobs were obliterated because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So financially, emotionally, just their whole livelihood was at risk. You think our life right now is difficult. Joblessness, underemployed, marriage issues, friendship issues, whatever you may have, it pales in comparison. But this is still a book for us today. So we're here, we hear the encouragement in the first section grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. From who? From him who is and who was and who is to come. From God the Father. And from the seven spirits which are before his throne, the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth, Jesus is offering us all the grace that we need to live this life and the peace to survive in the midst of tribulation. The church is to be encouraged. This morning as we look at this, we could spend hours looking at Daniel chapter 7, which John alludes to. And so if if you're one of those scholars and you love to read that stuff and you want to see more, write down Daniel chapter 7. But this morning, I want to, as much as I can, paint for you a picture of Jesus Christ that no flannel graph could ever represent. A little history. John, your brother and partner in tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance, John is a microcosm of the church. He's a brother to his hearers, one who shares with them just this threefold treasure. He is a brother in tribulation, he is a brother in the kingdom of God, and he is a brother in patient endurance which is in Jesus Christ, that you have in Jesus Christ. So in Jesus Christ, there is going to be tri tribulation. In Jesus Christ, you are going to be incorporated into his kingdom life. In Jesus Christ, we are given patient endurance, suffering severe persecution or tribulations for the cause of Christ, and having been an exiled with other criminals, John understands. He says, I get it. I am your partner and brother in tribulation. In fact, if you, if you read Fox's book of martyrs, 
you quickly find out that John got it. John faced martyrdom. He was boiled in a large basin of boiling oil. during a wave of persecution that was going on in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. He lived. The hand of God was on him. Just a a little picture of God and his saving grace. He is able, even though it's not found anywhere in the, the pages of Scripture, it is recorded in history that he has been saved by the hand of God. For what purpose? To encourage the church. And he was sentenced then to the mines on on the island of Patmos, which was a prisoner island. And it was there that he wrote this, this revelation. John's only crime, John's only crime was this, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That was his only crime. He did not kill anybody. He didn't steal anything. He was faithful to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. His faith in Christ put his life in jeopardy. But he was faithful. Okay, if my feet were put to the fire and I saw this bubbling vat of oil, and I was, they said, Paul, recant your faith in Jesus Christ. If the same thing would be put to you, I, I, there would be few of us that would say, oh, dip me in. May the party begin. Many of us would go, I'm done. Uncle. We'd like to believe that I am strong to the end because Jesus Christ has done, but this is a man who has given it all. His his life, man, put me in the boiling oil. Whatever. All for the glory of God. So he understood the persecution, the tribulation, the trouble. And when his brothers and sisters in Christ received this from him, they go, my heart is encouraged. He's my brother and partner in Christ. He's my brother in tribulation. John was also part of the same kingdom as his hearers. The whole same sphere of salvation. The redeemed community over which Jesus reigns as king and as Lord. He shared a kinship with them as a fellow subject of Jesus Christ. I am your brother in the kingdom. The church of Jesus Christ, when we gather together for worship, there is something spectacular that should be happening here as brothers and sisters lock arms together. I am your brother and your partner in the kingdom. That is why it breaks my heart to see sporadic church attendance. It kills me. Brothers and sisters in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the kingdom. 
needing to hear the Word of God together. As iron sharpens iron, we are together in the kingdom, working out our salvation in fear and trembling together as brothers and sisters in the kingdom over which Jesus Christ is Lord, over which he is king of our salvation. More on that later. But finally, John identified with his readers as a matter of perseverance. The word there, hupomonai, it, it, it's this idea that means uh, it remaining underneath. It speaks of patiently enduring. Patiently enduring difficulties without giving up. In the New Testament, it's characteristic of a man, a person who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and is loyal to faith and piety even under the greatest trials and sufferings. He is saying, when it all hits the fan, we're together as the body of Christ. Patient, we're remaining under. We understand that we are travelers through this world where we are going to be pressed down, but not destroyed. But we are going to patiently endure. Because why? We look forward and what do we see? Our eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And we keep pushing forward with brothers and sisters in the kingdom during tribulation with patient endurance. We're enduring because we know what is coming. We know who has saved us and that all of his promises are yes and amen. They are coming true. What he said will be, no matter what the world says. This is a joint ability to persevere under tribulation that we can all have if we will walk together in faith and keep our eyes on Jesus. And fix on the future glory and the blessings that will be coming. So he was, he is a, a partner, a brother and partner in tribulation in the kingdom and patient endurance that are in Jesus. And he was on the island of Patmos because of his testimony and his faith in Jesus Christ. And then 10, you follow what's going on here. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Some of you who are not so charismatic might get a little freaked out about this. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in, I was in a place thinking about the church. John pastored the church in Ephesus. And it was the Lord's Day. Referring to when? Sunday. The day when the church came together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. To come together to celebrate their new life in Christ. They came together, many of them probably in underground church kind of settings. Because there was a fear of 
tribulation, of persecution. And so they were coming together. And John was in the Spirit that day, thinking about the church, praying for the church, probably singing songs, because he was trained as a young Jewish boy to sing these songs. So he knew these songs that they were probably singing, and the Lord was leading him that day. His heart was prepared. His heart was tender. He was hungry for something. Now I want you to just kind of turn back your clock this morning. Not that clock, because it's still 9 o'clock. Turn back the clock this morning. An hour, maybe two. And I, John, was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Let's talk about your preparation as you came this morning. Was there, was there anything spirit-filled so that when you came together as a body of Christ, you had a transforming experience? Or was it, I'm guessing this is probably true with my family, I left at 7, 15, somewhere in there this morning. The kids were still in bed. That meant my wife had to rush and get the kids. Isaac even took a bath this morning. So you know that it was a big morning filled with trials and tribulations. Getting him ready, getting him out the door, getting everybody through Dunkin' Donuts. Come on, get in, let's go. We got church, we got to be here by 9 o'clock or 9.30, or whenever they showed up. And then to get them all in, and get them all happy, and get them out back to the kids' church. You know, the, was your heart prepared this morning for the Lord's Day? As the body of Christ comes together to meet Jesus corporately. Was there any preparation? For John, that morning... It was transforming. It was otherworldly. And here's what, what took place. John is probably thinking about Ephesus and all these other churches in Asia Minor in that area of Turkey. And suddenly, the earth seems to sink away under his feet. And his soul seems to be liberated from the shackles of time and space. He is taken out of contact, contact with the physical world around him. He is in the spirit. And I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience with just you and Jesus or in the, when you're worshiping together and you are in the spirit and you just, Lord, I don't know what's going on around me. But this is so this is absolutely delicious right now. And it almost scares me because I feel like your presence is right here. John had that. He sees indeed, but not with his physical eyes. He hears, but not with his physical ears. He is in direct contact with his Savior. He is alone with God. He is wide awake and every avenue of his soul is wide open to the direct 
communication coming from God. Goosebumps right now. He was in the sweet spot. And what did he see? What did he hear? You've got to understand this, that John refers to himself as the beloved. He was like the disciple that Jesus just loved on. Last Supper, he's the one that reclined right up to Jesus. John is the only one that is really mentioned in all the accounts of the gospel at the crucifixion. And he hears a voice behind him. He hears a voice and he recognizes that voice. And that voice is like a trumpet. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience where there's such a loud noise behind you and it scares the living daylights, but yet it is so familiar. That was John's experience. There was a voice like a trumpet calling out. And if you were a good Jewish person, you knew that when the tr- there was a voice like a trumpet, it was the voice of God. Moses and the children of Israel, as they were waiting to hear from God at Mount Sinai, there was a trumpet sound as God said, Moses, it's time for you to come near. Big stuff. And what did the children of Israel do? They came close, but they did not dare to come too close in fear that they would be struck dead. And when John turned around to see the voice that was speaking to him, what did he see? On turning, he saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of these lamps. So the first thing that as he's turning around to, to hear this voice was lampstands. Seven lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, in the middle of all these lampstands, he saw one like the Son of Man. Seven lampstands. Jesus was standing in the middle of the seven churches that he was going to be addressing. Next week, we we address Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. Jesus is standing in the midst of the churches. I want you to get that picture in your head because it's going to come back again at the end. Jesus is standing in the midst of the churches. That means this morning, as you gathered for the Lord's Day to be in the Spirit, Jesus is in our midst. He is here. He's here. So our apathy and worship to the King of kings and Lord of lords, our inattentive ears, with the King of kings and Lord of lords present, unprepared hearts in our minds to receive what he has in store for us, I believe breaks his heart. Because 
the one that we worship is here. He's not far off and we're singing these songs up here. Oh God, you're up here. He is present in our midst. So John turns around and sees the the seven churches. And in the middle of all this, he sees Christ. And he starts painting this huge picture that has all these allusions back to Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7 and in Revelation chapter 1, it is this picture, he is painting this picture of Christ as king, as judge, and as priest. And he is speaking as judge and king and priest to the churches. The one who has a message for the churches today, for our church. So he hears this and he, he turns around. And he recognizes that this Christ loves his church. He loves his church. How do we know that? Look at Acts 20. Acts 20, verse 28. Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders at Miletus. And he gives them, and he cries with these elders because he knows it's probably going to be the last time that he's going to be with them. Because Paul knows that His end is coming. Tribulation, kingdom, patient endurance. And Paul gives this. He says this. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his blood. Jesus loves the church so much that he gave himself up for his church. Gave with his blood to the death. Purchased and redeemed the church. So that in this vision, Christ just appears to John in absolutely overwhelming glory. This vision is just an introduction to chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches. And this portrays him in the role as the son of man, who is this priest and this judge. His role as priest and judge is somber and significant as he stands in the midst of these churches because it calls our attention to exactly who he is. And the first thing that we see through biblical imagery, the thing that we've got to understand is that Christ, it is Christ who purifies his church and therefore calls his church to holiness. It's Christ who calls us to holiness. It's not me as a pastor. It is, I'll do it for Christ through the word of God, but ultimately it is Christ who is calling us to be pure and holy. His hair and his feet were white, like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a fire, a flame, flame of fire, and his feet were like burnished bronze when it has, made, has been made to glow in a furnace. The New Testament just clearly sets forth a holy standard, a holy standard that Christ is established for the church. And here comes a whole string of, of texts, starting with Matthew 5.48. Jesus said, You therefore must be perfect as your father is perfect. Paul in in 2 Corinthians 11 says this, 
For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Paul reminded the Ephesians in, in chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, the word, of water with the word so that he might present to the church Present the church to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Colossians chapter 1. Paul explains that Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Peter in 1 Peter 1, reminds the believers that God expects them what God expects them. As you, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This Christ that is standing in the midst of the churches is saying, I have a message I desire your holiness first and foremost. I, I desire for you, Missio Day Church, to be holy as a whole and as individuals. I desire you to give up your life as a living sacrifice. Oh, give yourself up to me. Give up your ways, give up your desires for following after me. Take up your cross. Follow after me. And to maintain that divine standard, it is Christ who will discipline his church. It is Christ who speaks authoritatively to his church. It is Christ who controls his church. It is Christ who even protects his church. You got to notice that the Son of Man here is pictured as clothed with power and majesty and awe and terror. That long robe, that golden belt tucked around his chest, that hair glistening white like snow on which the sun is shining and it hurts your eyes to even look at. Those eyes flashing with fire. Eyes which read every heart and penetrate every hidden corner that is in your life. Those feet glowing in order to trample down the wicked. That loud reverberating voice like the mighty breakers, breaking onto the island of Patmos. That sharp, long, heavy sword with two biting edges. The entire appearance. Like the sun shining in full strength. Too intense for human eyes to stare at. The entire picture taken as a whole it's symbolic of Christ, the Holy One, coming to purge His church of sin. Coming to purge us of our complacency, our apathy, our bitterness, our anger. Coming to purge us of our gossip, our complaining, our moaning and groaning. 
coming to purge us of our sloppy theological work, coming to purge us of our, I don't care if I have any theological work, coming to purge us of our lust, our personal desires, so that we may be presented as a pure and spotless bride on that final day. When John saw this, when John heard this voice, recognized who was standing in the midst of the church, he didn't just come up and just say, hey, Jesus, it's been a while. How are you doing? What, what was his immediate reaction? Read it for yourself. He fell to the ground in fear. He knew the condition of his own heart. And what was the condition of his own heart? He was like Paul saying, hey, I'm the worst of sinners. And he fell down in fear and awe before the Holy Christ, the one who he saw crucified and risen again, the one that he, he knows is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. He was on the ground in worship, in fear. I long for that day when we get that. When we are done doing our church thing and we come to sit underneath the word of God and be transformed by his spirit to a place where the world doesn't understand. And we are so caught up in the glory of Jesus Christ that we are in worship and almost in fear of what God is going to do today. Maybe you've had your Bible studies, you've read through your little devotional book all through the week, but you know Sundays are coming. And you're going, oh, what is God going to, we're going to have an encounter with him today that is going to shake my very being. He's going to change my marriage, he's going to change my workplace, he's going to change my mind, he's going to change my heart, he's going to change my motives, he's going to change my kids, he's going to change me. I am scared to death, but I can't wait. I can't wait for that day for us. As we grow up into Christ, who's the head of our church, and we have a holy fear when we come together. We come in anticipating, but yet trembling. But there's, John also reassures the church. What did he do? He is on the ground Laying prostrate, just, I, I dare not move. And Jesus takes his right hand and puts it on him. What does he say? Fear not. You're secure. You're my child. Don't be afraid. Because let me tell you some stuff about me. This is, this is who I am. And he says this. I'm the first and the last. I, I was before there was time. And I, I am the end. I, 
I'm even before the beginning chapters, and I'm, I'm beyond the last chapter. I'm the first and the last, and I am the living one. I am existing forevermore. In fact, I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And John's going, I know. I saw it all. And Jesus is going, I know. And here I am. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. I hold the keys. So fear not. So he ends. I have a message for you. And I want you to write these things down. Everything that's going to take place. I have a message for you to give to the churches. And it's for the, the seven lampstands, the seven churches, and also for the seven stars that I hold in my right hand, which are more than likely the seven pastors, the seven elders who had oversight of those seven churches. I've got a message, not just for the church, but I also have a, a message for the pastors. The beautiful thing is that Jesus is doing what? He is holding these things and he's in the midst of the church i'm not leaving you or managing you from the outside i'm in the middle of it and i'm holding these seven stars i'm not just kind of okay those guys out there i'm holding them because i love my church i love my people i've redeemed them with my blood and i am not going to let them go i am holding on to them but i still have a hard message because he says, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do the people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We are the church that John is writing to with the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are the church who is to be the light of the world. We are. You are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. That means that you are not fulfilling God's purpose if you are not letting your light shine in a way that can be seen brightly. Your job is to burn with the light of Christ so that people will see his flame within you. And Jesus is in our midst this year day church this morning. He's in the midst of the lampstands. He's in the midst of the church. He is here right now. And knowing that, allows you to burn brightly. My prayer as we go through these next 
10 weeks that we graciously receive the discipline that He offers us. That we listen as He speaks authoritatively authoritatively to our church through the words of Scripture. That we allow Him to control us, His church. And that we fully trust Him in this process. Because He protects His church. I have no idea what God has in store for us. I'm writing this as we go. But my sense is that our church, in some way, in shape, and form, just like I hope the rest of the church has realized, is that we are under church discipline. He disciplines those that he loves. And I desire, Miss O'Day, to be this pure and spotless bride that can be presented on that last day without spot or wrinkle. And we hear the well done, good and faithful servant. You've done well. And I as a pastor can stand to the side and just say, look, isn't she radiant? And he goes, thank you for being submissive to the discipline and listening to the words of life. Thank you for trusting me in these times as I discipline and allowing me to control and lead your church. But this morning, I want you to understand clearly that Christ is in the midst of our church. Next week, we're going to be worshiping through serving. Being the light on a hill in Joliet. Shining brightly for the whole world to see through service. That's a part of our Christian walk. But when we come back on February 5, correct? Super Bowl Sunday, so there's no buys for anybody here. The Bears aren't playing. Neither are the Packers, so our hearts should be focused on what matters. Uh, We have, I want you, I want you to come on that morning prepared. I don't want you, in in fact, I want to challenge those of you who walk in um, a minute before or those of you who walk in uh, five minutes after, get here early. Prepare your hearts for what God wants to take place that morning. Show up early, anticipating Christ in our midst and get do something powerful. Amen?